Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 14 through 21, but I'm going to be focusing especially on 14 through 17 today. Now, I've mentioned several times so far how Ephesians can be divided up rather clearly into two halves. The first three chapters focusing particularly on what God has done that we might live. And the second focusing on how we are now to live, how we are to respond to how God has redeemed us now that and is dwelling in us. So today we come to the very end of that first half. So, so far, Paul has been focusing on the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel. We've heard of the Father's grace, how he has richly blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We've heard of the Father's power, how he raised Christ from the dead and seated him above every name that is to be named and raised us with Christ. We've heard of the Father's love, how he has made Christ to be our peace. He has brought Jew and Gentile together and has given us, amazingly, access into the most holy place, access to him through Christ by the Spirit. We had been without hope, without God, without Christ. We were lost and unclean, and we couldn't come anywhere near God's temple. As Paul writes this, the Ephesians are still not allowed to go into the temple courts. But God has brought them near anyway. He has brought, he's done more than that indeed, more than just brought us near. We see that he's actually making us into his temple. That he wants us, that he wants to be with us that he wants to dwell with us and give us access to him in prayer. For his house, Isaiah said, will be a house of prayer for all the nations. And this fact literally drives Paul to his knees in prayer. That's what our passage is this morning. Paul's prayer that we would come to actually and fully experience all these wonderful blessings that God has so richly lavished upon us in Jesus Christ. So I hope and pray that as we listen to God's word here, we will also learn to seek these things from God in prayer. Verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, 
To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we, we thank you for this prayer, a prayer for seemingly impossible things, to know love that surpasses knowledge, to be filled with all the fullness of God. And yet, Lord, you are able to do all these things, far more. We ask as we listen to your word, as we consider it this morning, that you would open our eyes so that we would come to know these things, that this prayer that we just read would come true. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 46 tells us that God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Ever-present, always there, always ready to help in time of trouble. What a comfort that is. Here, Paul is in prison. Maybe he's in chains, there are guards, there are locked doors and thick walls, no freedom to travel and to preach and to do whatever he would like to do. But we see here that Paul is not restricted to the throne of grace. There are no walls thick enough to keep out even the smallest child of God from having direct access to God through Jesus Christ. It's wonderful, isn't it? Doesn't matter where we are in the world. Doesn't matter how lowly our condition doesn't matter what prison bars and walls there are. God is ever present with his people. He always gives us access to him. Paul had just prayed. Uh, Paul is praying because in Christ we have boldness and confident access. That's what he says, chapter 3, verse 12. In whom we have boldness and confident access, access with confidence through our faith in him. Paul realizes this, and it's a joy that he carries with him. No one can take it away. Not all the armies on earth can take away that wonderful privilege of God's children. And if, if you were to live in Israel back in this day, but you were a Gentile, and you knew that you couldn't enter in, and yet today, of all days, there's going to be an open house in the tabernacle. The doors are open. You can come in all the way in, not just into the courtyard, all the way into the temple, all the way into the most holy place today. You would be lining up, cramming through the doors. Well, Paul realizes we have that privilege every day. And when he hears it, he speaks it, it immediately drives him to prayer because that's the thing to do. There is nothing you could do, no, no sight you could see, Nothing you could experience better than being in God's presence. A day in your courts is more than 10,000 outside. And we have access to the Father too. It's not just open house for a day, but all the time. Perhaps it's because of that that we take, take it for granted. As you see Paul's actions and you consider these blessings you probably realize that we 
we have neglected this. Your prayer life is probably not what you wish it was. I won't ask you to raise your hands because I already know the answer. We have direct access to the King of Kings. What a privilege. And at what cost? Ephesians 2.13 told us what the cost was. The blood of Christ. For you to be brought near, Christ was forsaken. Now he has been raised from the dead. We are raised with him. Christ has fully paid our curse. He has entered into God's presence on our behalf as our advocate, as Jesus Christ the righteous. And this blessing is not simply for the Jews, but for the Gentiles. We now both have access to God through Jesus Christ. And Paul doesn't take this for granted. That fact drives him to his knees in prayer. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. For what reason? It is in response to the redemption that we have, the access that we have, the fact that God is building us into a holy temple for his indwelling. Paul wants us to experience that in our own lives because that's God's plan. That's God's will. Brothers and sisters, that's how we ought to respond to God's promises. Not by simply waiting, but by hearing the promise and then grabbing onto it by prayer. There's, this reminds me a little bit of a, t- a time with Elijah. You might remember after the priests of Baal were destroyed. It hadn't rained on the earth for three and a half years. And Elijah says, he hears the sound of rain. He's hearing it prophetically because there's not a cloud in the sky, but God has promised to send rain. And so he goes up to the mountain and says he puts his head between his knees. What's he doing? He's praying. And then he tells his servant to go, go look. Tell me, tell me what you see. And he comes back, there's nothing. And he says, go back, go back. Go back seven times he goes back. And he says, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. And he said, it's time to go for there's going, to be a, there's going to be rain. So he knew that God had promised rain, but he didn't just passively wait for it to come. Knowing that that was God's purpose, God's plan, God's promise, he turned those promises into prayer. And he kept praying until he received what was promised. For three and a half years, it did not rain. And then he prayed again, James tells us, and it rained. This is what we ought to do with all these promises that you've been hearing in the first three chapters, God's blessings to us, his desire to unite all things in Christ. That's what we are to do. We are to turn those promises and those plans into prayer. How God chose us to be holy, how he has prepared us for good works that we might walk in it, how he longs for us to be built into a holy temple. Brothers and sisters, how have you responded to this wonderful plan? Has it brought you to your knees in prayer? Would you promise to turn these into prayer? To pray, to look back over these chapters, 
to see what God has promised. And don't just listen to it for knowledge, but take hold of it by faith and pray that God would make these things come true. He will make them come true. So uh, let us let these words conform our desires to God's, that we would long for the things to come to pass in the church that he has spoken of here. Let us learn from Paul how to respond to God's wonderful plan for us. It's interesting, too, that Paul mentions that he bows the knee because the most common posture for prayer in Scripture is actually standing. Perhaps Paul is thinking of one of his favorite verses, Isaiah 45, 22, and 23. He quotes it in Romans and in Philippians. It says, Turn to me, all the ends of the earth, and be saved, for I am God and there is no other. To me, every knee will bow. Every tongue will swear allegiance. Paul, no doubt, knows the context of these verses. God was inviting all the nations to come to him and to be saved. Here in Ephesians, Paul tells us that this is precisely why God made him an apostle to the Gentiles. Those nations are now coming to him. And Paul has this unique place in it. God has revealed his plan to save families from all over the earth. That people from all over would turn to him and be saved. For he is God and there is no other. And Paul is going to join this great multitude in bowing the knee in allegiance and in prayer to God. So here in verse 15, we see that worldwide emphasis. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. God is the creator the owner of every family in heaven and earth. And it is every Christian's desire that God's, God would be known and glorified in every land and by every tongue. And that we, we are God's family. God has brought us all into a family. I mentioned it when we gathered together. I entitled this sermon, God's House, because I mean that in two, two ways. We are God's household, but also we are God's temple. We are his family. We are family with one another, brothers and sisters. And we want this to continue to grow throughout the world. Isn't this what the Lord taught us when he called us to pray, your kingdom come? Brothers and sisters, I want you to remember too that you have not come to know the Lord simply because you were smarter than somebody else, that you discovered the truth when other people couldn't see it on your own. No, your coming to the Lord is Christ's, God's answer to the prayers of Paul and the prayers of many people that you would come. There are people praying all over the world that God's kingdom would grow, that it would expand. You're coming to to Christ was, is a result of those prayers. It's an answer to those prayers. Paul's coming to Christ is a result of Stephen's prayer. You remember when Stephen was dying, martyred. Do not hold this sin against them. 
Paul was there. God answered that prayer when he brought Paul to himself. See, shall we not continue in this great tradition, praying that God would, con- would grow his church and build it? Prayer, you see, is not just the great privilege of every, every member of God's kingdom. It's also the great means by which God's kingdom comes. Psalm 2, ask of me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. Prayer comes, um, the, God, the church grows through prayer. So that's what we're doing. Sunday morning, we gather together. We pray an intercessory prayer. We're, we're helping build God's kingdom. We have a prayer meeting on Tuesdays, on Wednesdays. Join us. Let's, let's build the church through prayer. Let's bow the knee with Paul. Let's ask of God to give Christ the nations as his inheritance. Now, Paul's prayer here might, might be in response to God's bringing in people from all over, the, all over the world, but his prayer, the content of it, is actually more focused on the growth of maturity rather than numerical growth. It's a prayer for power, for love, and for understanding. Now, I'm going to focus on just the first request this week and the rest later on. The first request is that God would, from his glorious riches, strengthen us with power through his Holy Spirit so that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith. I wonder, when was the last time we prayed for something like that? Generally, our prayers are rather small. We pray that uh, we have good weather today or um, pray that we would find favor in the eyes of our boss or customers or that he would bless us, that we would get over a cold or things like that. Paul is praying that God would strengthen us in the inner man that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith. We need this. See, in God's, God's amazing mercy, he has decided that he wants to make our hearts his home. And God's ways are certainly higher than our ways here. For you see, when we find a home, we might go online, you might go on to Zillow or somewhere to find the best location that you can find. I'm kind of looking for a home now. I know some people here buy homes and then resell them. And you're looking for a good deal. God did not look for a good deal when he found us. We were the worst deal ever. A broken down shack, rotten in every place. Nothing could be kept. The whole thing needs to be replaced. Everything tainted with sin. And what price? The highest price that has ever been paid for any home. Christ's blood. It is a terrible deal. But you see, he wasn't doing this to make a profit. He was doing this out of love. He came to our ruins, our slums, place definitely not fit for a king. And amazingly, God says, this is where I want to dwell. This is my new home. Now, the the temple cannot contain him. The heavens and the highest heavens cannot contain him. Yet he wants to dwell in us. 
And in Greek, there are two ways to say dwell, two main ways. One means a temporary dwelling, a place where you might visit in passing. The second means a place where you settle down permanently. That's the use that we have here. God wants to make us his permanent home. He is praying that Jesus would live in us forever. Isn't this incredible? We, we couldn't even look at God and live on our own. We couldn't approach the temple, much less enter in, much less become the temple without the Spirit transforming us. It is not a small thing to have the creator of the universe. You have, this, is, this is God, and here's the universe. So much bigger And he's going to dwell in us and make us his home. That's not a small request. That's not a small thing. When when Peter saw just a glimpse of God's holiness when Jesus was fishing with him, he fell down before him. He said, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. John, John fell before him like a dead man. Paul fell down before him and was blinded. And yet this holy God, holy, 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 that angels hide their faces from, shield their faces from the splendor of his majesty, he wants to dwell in us. It is not a small thing, brothers and sisters, for the king of glory to make his home in you. We need to be strengthened to even bear such glory to be around it. Yet this is where God will set up his throne. And we should long for this, that sin would be removed, that we would be changed to his liking, that he would feel right at home. If Jesus were to come to your house this afternoon for lunch, for supper, you would probably want to go home quickly straighten up a few things, right? You can't straighten up this house. You can't do it. He has to do it. You have to let him in, into your your home, and say, I'm sorry, Lord. This is the way it looks. Here's my heart. It's broken. Take it and fix it. I can't do it. In my house that I grew up in, you know, I, we just had boys. We would wrestle, and somebody would put a shoulder through the drywall. One time we kicked a hole in the ceiling somehow. It's just a monument of disobedience. We can't fix it. Jesus has to come in and fix it. He said, sorry, it looks this way. I have nothing to hide from you. I can't hide it, but I need you to come in and clean it all up. And I'm so thankful that you did come. That's by grace. But we also must remember that Jesus, when he comes into our house, he doesn't stay in the frog. And my mom, when she comes over, she stays in the frog. It's the guest room because it's not her house, it's my house. It's not the case here. It's Christ's house. He gets the main room. He lives there and he puts things where he wants it to be because you are not your own. He is not a guest in your house. He is the king. You are his house. So we cannot 
think of having Jesus in a side room in the frog or somewhere, the guest room. And Paul expresses the centrality of this by saying that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Now, we're used to this expression. We often hear of saying, let Jesus come into your heart, things like this, as a common way of sharing the gospel. So you might be surprised that this is the only place in the Bible where it talks about Jesus dwelling in our hearts. This verse right here. I think this familiarity might lead us astray when we think of this. God is not wanting to dwell in your physical heart. He is wanting to be at the very center of your life. To dwell there. That Jesus would rule over us. Be at the center of everything we are and everything we do, just as he has planned to make Christ the center of everything in the universe. That all things in heaven and on earth would be united in him, that the Jews and the Gentiles would come together in him, that he would be the center of our, our hearts, making, making us his temple. The heart, you see, is the control center. It's what's most important. And if you don't give God your heart, you can't really give him anything. If you come and you worship him, and your hearts are far from him, he sees right through it. God says, give me your heart, my son. Let your eyes delight in my ways. God wants our hearts. He wants what's most central and most inner in us. That is where Christ sets up his throne. He will not be content with anything less than the supreme place in our lives. For he is God and there is no other. And our place is to bow the knee before him and declare that he is Lord. You cannot imagine that God will be the center of the universe and merely a side activity in your life. How can we push to the side what God has placed in, in the very dead center? He will be supreme everywhere. Every knee will bow to him. Christ will dwell in our hearts. And how does this happen? Through faith. Paul prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's by faith that we take hold of Christ. We receive him and embrace him. Now, Paul just wrote earlier in Ephesians that we are saved through faith. And that this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. This reminds us again that this is not our work for him to dwell in us. It's It's God's work. We could never fix ourselves up, be worthy of his abiding in us and with us. So don't read this and think, I need to make myself worthy of his indwelling. Um, If that were the case, it would say, I pray that Christ may dwell in your heart by works. We don't fix ourselves up. He comes up, comes in and cleans us out. His grace does it, though. His grace is a transforming grace. His love is a transforming love. His presence is a transforming presence. He comes in, and he makes us not just rebuilt into our initial condition. He's making us into something far better, far better than anything we could ask or think, making us into a palace fit for the king. 
And it's by faith that we take hold of this transforming gift of God's presence, that we behold him by faith and thus are transformed by beholding him. Being in God's presence is transforming. This is, goes along with prayer too. When you pray, you are changed. If you are in God's presence, even if you don't get what you asked for, you were in God's presence and you don't walk away the same. God gradually changes us by being with us, letting us be with him. So this faith takes hold of this salvation. And it's also his continuing work to change us. He already dwells in us, but he's progressively changing us. That's why we need to keep praying for it. Our inner man is being renewed day by day. Brothers and sisters, everything that you need to be made perfect is already there for you in Christ. We simply need the Spirit to take Christ and apply him to us, apply those blessings to us and change us. The point is that we need to be more and more strengthened and the Spirit strengthens us with power in the inner man. It says that we might be able to walk with the Spirit and be rooted and grounded in love. That's what he says, verse 17. Rooted and grounded in love. For you see, the fruit of the Spirit is love. The whole rest of Ephesians is taken up with this idea of how we walk by the Spirit in love with one another. Paul says we are rooted and grounded in love, and this is a mixed metaphor. We can think of ourselves as a tree that's rooted, growing, and it's in love. Our whole growth is supported and nourished by this soil of love. Christian love towards one another strengthens us and supports the church. But being grounded in, grounded in love pictures us as a building, a temple, whose foundation is love. So at the end of chapter 2, the church is pictured as this growing temple designed to be a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. This is the burden of Paul's prayer. This is the emphasis of all of Ephesians. God loved us, and we are to love one another. God loved us, and therefore, he's made us loving. He transforms us to make us like himself, loving. That is the way we glorify God. That is how we're known to be Christians, by our love. And it's the way the church grows. This is the way that the church is united in love. And you will see, as we continue to go through Ephesians, that we are called to walk in love, just as God loved us. We are to speak the truth in love. Husbands are to love their wives as themselves, as, or to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And the whole letter ends with this blessing, grace to, be, to all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. And for any of this to happen, we need God to answer Paul's prayer that Christ would dwell in us forever right there at the center of our lives, that the Holy Spirit would strengthen us in the inner man. This is our only hope. Brothers and sisters, let us make this prayer ours as well. Lord, we ask that you would strengthen us in the inner man.
that you would build us up, that we would grow being rooted and grounded in love. We pray that you would somehow come into our lives, dwell in us, make us the way you want us to be, because Lord, you have bought us for yourself. We thank you, Lord, for not overlooking us, choosing us in your mercy, making us your home. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.